This is not the first time that I've had the honor of speaking in this base medrash, but normally it's for uh, more happy occasions. Speaking here during Chaydish Elul, Aserusimei Tshuva, for regular Tshuva inspiration. Tonight, I come here to give Divrei Zikarin words of recollections, of memories of my Rosh Hashiva, Rav Aaron Shechter, Zechitzadik who was Nifter about a week ago. I just want to give a, a few words of uh, disclaimer before I begin. These are not words of Hesped that I'm giving. In order to eulogize an Adam Gadol, a Tamar Chacham, a Gadol B'Yisrael, one really needs to be on a very high level personally and to be able to explain and to describe and to define the greatness of the Adam Gadol that was lost, and I certainly can't. I don't know if anyone actually can. So these are not words of hesped, they're not words of eulogy. They're just simply one Talmud's personal memories, things that made a deep and lasting impression on myself. And I also want to say one other disclaimer once I'm at it that I am not from the leading Talmidim of Rav Aaron Shechter. Rav Aaron was zeichet to have Talmidei Chachamim, Muflagim, Gedaila Yisrael themselves, Rashi Yeshivas, Rashi Kailal, really Bekiyim and Shas and, and Kalatayr Kula. He had tremendous, tremendous Talmidim. The only reason why I permitted myself when I was asked Rabbi Daniel, to offer any words of Zikarin is because if there's one thing that I can say that I did have, it was an exceptionally close relationship with the Rosh Shiva, Zechit Tzadik Levracha. And I don't know why I was Zechit to this. I really don't. It's considered by me to be one of the wonders of the world and one of the greatest privileges of my life. But for some reason, we were able to connect very closely and very intimately. And I think I could speak on behalf of both of us that we enjoyed each other's company. I certainly enjoyed the Rashiva's company, and I, I, I believe that I sensed a little bit that he enjoyed my company. And so with that as a little bit of a background of why I'm standing up here, let me just give a little bit of a biographical sketch of the Rashiva before I begin to speak about my own personal memories and recollections. Rav Aaron was born and bred in America, which in and of itself is a very great and powerful motivator for all of us, for any one of us that were born either in America or in other countries that are, uh, that are not considered necessarily to be on the plateaus of, you know, the Lithuanian, European um, places where G'daylam are generally 
uh, raised in, he was born in, in the streets of Brooklyn, exactly where we are, within, uh, I don't know, maybe a 10-mile radius of, of this very shul, this very Beit Medrash. And he grew up with very chashuva parents, but regular balabatish parents. And he was, he went to a yeshiva for elementary school, and then he went to Chaim Berlin uh, for high school. And Rav Hutner, the Rashiv of Chaim Berlin, saw something great in Rav Aaron. And from a very early age, he already began to develop his unique potential. And that also has to be a little bit spoken about, because Rav Hutner was a Talmud of the Alter von Slabotka. The Alter von Slabotka, Rav Nassim Svi Finkel, was perhaps the greatest mechanech in the past many hundred years. If you can measure the mark of a mechanech by the Talmidim that he develops. In this one small base medrash in Slabotka, which is in Lithuania, listen to the roster. I'm just giving a partial list of the gedolim that were raised there as young lads, as young Talmidei Chachamim, aspiring Talmidei Chachamim. You had the likes of Rav Shach, the likes of Rav Aaron Cutler, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, Rav Hutner, Rav Ruderman, Rav David Leibowitz, Rav Avram Elia Kaplan. I could keep going on and on. It's an incredible list. These were the individuals that founded all of the major yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael and in America and in Europe. The Mir Yeshiva was uh, the Finkel family. Also, of course, these were the children, the grandchildren of, of Rav Nassim Tzvi Finkel, the Altaf and Slabatka. You have one man that was able to create an empire of Rashi Yeshivas that literally built Tyra around the world. How did he do this? What was his secret sauce? What was his magic? And the answer was that he understood human beings. And he was able to take a young man, immediately size him up, see what his potential was, what were his unique talents and strengths, what were his challenges, his weaknesses, and custom tailor for that individual Talmud a mahalach, a track to go on in life, that would be unique for him and that would be able to see him develop into the greatest person that he himself could be. That's the secret sauce of creating Talmidim that are able to be G'dayla Yisrael. You have to understand the Talmud, think about the Talmud, observe the Talmud, speak to the Talmud, give Musr to the Talmud, give love to the Talmud, and then send him on a path that he could achieve personal greatness. I think of all of the Rosh Yeshivas that I had mentioned as Talmidim of the altar, I think it might be safe to say that the one that followed most in the altar's footsteps of this type of mahalach, of raising Talmidim with their unique potential, was Rabbi Yitzhak Hutner. He had Talmidim that were each different, but also created great G'dayla Yisrael, a Hasidish Rebbe, like the Novominska Rebbe, was a Talmud of Rav Hutner. He had Rav Yenison David, his son-in-law, a tremendous Talmud Chacham 
and he was the successor of his empire, of Rav Hutner's empire in Eretz Yisrael, in the Yeshiva's Pachid Yitzchak. And then he had Rav Feivel Cohen, who was one of the Paiske Hadar, and he's had many, many Talmidim, Svardisha Talmidim, and uh, so many, countless Talmidim, and each and every one of them, he molded and he made great, and he was able to create many, many wonderful Talmidim that were really able to change the world of Tyra. But of all of these Talmidim, he was selected, Rav Aaron, by Rav Hutner, to stand at the helm of the American branch of Chaim Berlin when Rav Hutner made Aliyah, together with his son-in-law and daughter, later on in his life, and he created, like I said before, he founded a yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, but Rav Aaron was basically told that you're in charge in America of, of Chaim Berlin. Rav, Rav Anisandeh, who is also a co-rush yeshiva, but in terms of the day-to-day operations of Chaim Berlin, Rav, Rav Aaron was in charge. So a man that was able, Rav Hutner, to see the greatness of every Talmud and develop that greatness, he saw on this one Talmud, Rav Aaron Schechter, the ability to really rise to the highest echelons of G'dayle Yisrael, and that's why he appointed him. Now, the hallmark of Slabotka, in two words, is godless ha'adam. The altar from Slabotka himself used to say that I have many, many sichas, I have many musr shmuz, but really they're all one repackaged in different ways from different angles. It's all about godless ha'adam. So he might speak about Parshas Bereshis, godless ha'adam, Parshas Nayach, Parshas Mishpatim, Parshas Truma, Tetzavah, different messages, but all stemming from the same centerpiece, and that is, how great is man? How fantastic is man? How majestic is man? Man, Adam Arishan himself was the Yitzir Kappa of Hashem, he was the handiwork of Hashem, and he was gigantic physically, he was gigantic spiritually, and we're all descendants of Adam Rishon. So we all have this unique potential, if we're able to tap into it, to achieve greatness, the likes of which we don't really even understand. We don't know how great each and every one of us are, how powerful our neshama is, the potential that we all have. We don't realize it. But great people are able to sense that greatness in others and then help them achieve that greatness. And if you understand Rav Aaron, if anyone was Zaycha to even see Rav Aaron walking in the streets, I'm sure you've seen him, if you're walking around, you know, if you're in Flatbush for so many years, you're bound to see Rav Aaron uh, walking home on Shabbos, walking to a Kiddush on Shabbos through, during the week. You saw the godless Adam. You saw how majestic he walked, how perfectly groomed his beard was, his, his, his payas, his, his whole surah Adam. He looked beautiful. You'll see on the cover of every newspaper, every magazine this week, has pictures of Rav Aaron. A man in his perfection. Adam Biakar. A person in the most perfect form. I traveled with him to a chasna once in Belgium. We went on an airplane together and we, we stayed over for a day or two there. And I could tell you that people, Gayim in Europe, that probably didn't like Jews very much, when they saw Rav Aaron walking, and I was walking right next to them, I don't think they were staring at me, they were looking at him, and they were in awe. It was like seeing like a Malach Hashem. 
the way he carried himself, the way he walked, the way he spoke to people, and the way he focused on every individual as he was talking to them and giving them his full concentration was something that was very unique. I don't know if it, if it really exists in anywhere else in the world other than in Rav Aaron Schechter. I was Zaycha to learn with Ravaran by Musar Seder in Yeshiva for two years, two consecutive years. And it was an amazing experience. Besides for the other, the Shiram that I heard from him in Gemara and in Pachid Yitzchak in Maral, but I had the opportunity to learn privately with him one-on-one B'chabrusa. During El, we used to learn Shari Tshuva, Rabbi Yaina's classic on Tshuva, and the rest of the year we learned Misol Sisharim. And every single day, we would learn a little piece, maybe we'd have time in those 10-15 minutes to learn uh, one line, two lines, never more than a small paragraph. And no matter what it was, Rav Aaron had this ability to come up with a Chiddush, and it was a chiddush that was like mind-blowing. Like he, was, he sat for a moment, he thought, and he said something, and it was like, whoa, I, no, I, couldn't, I didn't see it coming. And I used to write it down. I have, I have many, many, uh, I have a notebook full of these chidushim on Mesol Sisharim and on Shari Tshuva. One day he said something that blew me away, a tremendous chiddush, and... It was during the second year of our Musar Seder, because I know that because the second year I was learned, I was a Rebbe in Kamenetz Yeshiva, a 12th grade Rebbe. Uh, Kamenetz is right, right down the block from here, on Avenue N. And I would finish giving shear, and then I would run through the streets of Brooklyn from, from Kamenetz, which was on East 19th, all the way to Chaim Berlin, and I had like five minutes to get there. I was literally running. And I, I didn't want to come back to Yeshiva. As a Rebbe, I had to wear a tie. In Yeshiva, I didn't want to wear a tie. It looked funny. So I was like running through the streets, taking my tie off like Clark Kent or something, like Superman. And, uh, and, I, and I came to Yeshiva. I slid right into the chair and I started learning with him. And I said to him, I want the Yeshiva to know that the Chiddush that you told me yesterday... I told it over to my Talmidim today in, in Shir, and they enjoyed it very much. They enjoyed it very much. And Rav Aaron was a stickler for words. He, like, if, you, if I would tell that to you, you would say, okay, very nice, thank you. Rav Aaron heard every word, and if something, you know, his antennas were always up, and if there was something about the, the verbiage that you use, he would, he, would, he would call you on it. And he said to me the following, I'll never forget, he says, he says, they enjoyed it. He said, if you're teaching, if you're giving over Torah to be mashpi on people, to have a positive influence, to give them kedusha, give them hadracha, give, then you're a rebbe, then you're an educator. He says, but if you're doing it for their enjoyment, then you're nothing but an entertainer. And it hit home. He's right. It was, it was like, he doesn't need my askama, but like, it, he, you're not giving over Torah for people to enjoy. Sometimes you have speakers and they're making everybody laugh or whatever. That's very nice. But that's not education. That's entertainment. 
if you want to be a bona fide Rebbe and a Machanech and a Rav and a Mashpia, you have to do it because you want to give over Tyra, you want to give over wisdom to people. One day during Elul, the Beis Medrash, during Elul, of course, Elul is a time, as we all know, if you're in this Beis Medrash at night learning, you know better than I do that Elul is a time that people are working on introspection and they're learning Musar and they're trying to better themselves in preparation for the Elul Nairam, Rosh Hashanah, Mekipurim. And Elul is a time that traditionally people really are learning Musar more than the rest of the year. And I was sitting learning Musa with Rav Aaron, and, and I saw that he was getting very agitated. He like he couldn't hold. He was like trying to hold himself back, but he couldn't. And I said, "What's wrong?" And he just like brushed me away. And he, he gets up, and he says, "Why is the Ilam not learning Musa better? It's Elul." He says, "Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, who was the founder of the Musa movement, used to say that the whole year should be Elul." Really, there's no difference between Elul and the Red White. Well, you, you have to be from during Elul. You don't have to be from during Shvat, during Adar, during Tammuz. The whole year should be Elul. Well, Tshuva is just a, it's a, it's a seasonal product, Tshuva. Tshuva is something we should be doing all year. That's true, he said. But Elul is far to Elul. But meaning Elul, it has to be Elul. You might not, it should be Elul the rest of the year, but it's not. But during Elul, it has to be Elul. There's no excuses during Elul for it not to be Elul. And he sat down, and he felt better, I think. But the yeshiva made a reisham, like people felt it. And the next day, by Musa Seder, was much stronger. But that was Rav Aaron. He didn't, he, when he saw something and it bothered him, he said it. He didn't hold back. He had a midas emes about him. He had to say the truth. One of those days that I was learning with him was, was during Elul. It was 9-11, September 11th in 2001. And the Twin Towers were burning. You could have a, on, the, on the roof of Chaim Berlin, you can go up there and you see, remember we saw a straight view, straight down Coney Island Avenue. You had a clear view of, of the Twin Towers. And they were, it was like two Shabbos candles. They were just burning. They were just like, the, the smoke was just coming up. And, and I got to learn with Rav Aaron that day, and he was so upset, he was so agitated about B'nai Yishmael. Like, we already knew it. By Musa Seyer, they already knew what happened, that it was terrorism, and there was Arabs, and, it was, and he was talking about, he wasn't talking about it, like, politically. He was talking about it from a terror perspective, B'nai Yishmael and the seething wrath that B'nai Yishmael has towards Klal Yisrael, towards the civilized world. And he was like, he was talking about it as if you were learning, you know, as if it was like, as if you had like a biblical perspective on what was going on in real time of what the world was going through. The world was already like dissecting it in terms of politics. He was looking at it through a pure terror perspective. And he asked me once, he says, Maisha, you came to yeshiva. I, didn't, I wasn't like a Chaim Berliner my whole life. I, came, I went to other yeshivas and then 
when I was about 21 years old, I came to Chaim Berlin, and I stayed there for about 12 years. But he said to me, a few years in, I guess I was like more of a unique personality to him. I was able to give him a perspective that maybe the people that grew up in the system couldn't. He said, what did you gain from Chaim Berlin? What do you see as unique? You've been to other good yeshivas. Like, what did you gain? What do you think Chaim Berlin is unique for? So I said, Rabbi, there's one thing that I think that, Chaim, that I gained personally since I came to yeshiva. And that is that I don't look at anything in a trivial manner. I don't look at anything. Chaim Berlin, Rav Hutner, Rav Aaron, they had a perspective on everything. Nothing was random. There was nothing that happened that was just happenstance. Everything has an imic to it. If it's a chazal, you don't just take chazal, a gemara that you learn on a superficial level, but you try to understand it deeply, like the maral and, and, and like many other bali machshava. Everything has such an imic to it. You could take like a hydraulic drill and drill deeper and deeper and deeper below the surface, and there's nothing that's trivial. And I told the Surabhan, I said, like, since I came here, I see things like so deeper, so much deeper. And he was smiling like from ear to ear. He was so happy that, that I gained that, that I, that I realized that. He was a wonderful Rosh Hashiva in the sense that he cared deeply about his Talmidim. And I think the way that you saw it the most, perhaps, was when the Bachram were getting married. You know, the Bachram and Medrash, they're of marriageable age, and he was Masad Kedushin by so many. And every night, Kimat, he had at least two to three invitations to go different places. Sometimes it was very far, but sometimes it was, if he had a few chases, let's say, in the tri-state area, he would try to make it to each and every one of them. And, and his closer Talmidim were, like, getting a little bit nervous, he was already getting older, like, and I, 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 I heard them, like, yelling at him almost, like, the Rashiva needs to preserve his health, like, don't go to every chasla, just, you know, just go to a few of them, you, you, you have to make sure it's not, it's not Kedai, you go to so many, like, it's, it's enough. And he said something beautiful, he said that it's true that I go to a lot of chasnas, but to every chasan it's the only chasna that he's going to have. Every chatan has his own, this is his only time. I'm getting married tonight. I have to have my Rashiva here. If you're looking at it from the Rashiva's perspective, okay, I can't go to a million chasnas. But if he's looking at it from a Talmud's perspective, this is his chasna. He needs his Rashiva here. And I heard that he once said that if a Rebbe or a Rashiva does not go to his Talmud's chasna, he forfeits the right to ever give him Musar and Teichacha. Don't come to me later and say, you can't do this, or you have to do that. You didn't come to my chasna. He felt like it was so important to do that. And when he came to a chasna, he was, he was the center of the entire simcha. He would go in the middle of the circle, and he would dance so majestically and so beautifully, and all the Talmidim would just stand around and clap and cheer. And, but he had such grace and such beauty to him. He was a very big mefunuk, which means he was extremely, extremely particular 
with language, as I alluded to before. There was no room for, for sloppiness in talking. Everything had to be the right word. I remember I was once speaking to him privately, and sometimes when you're looking for filler words, when you're like trying to, to complete a sentence, but you don't always have like the next that you say, whatever. So whatever, so I went here, and then whatever, you know, and he says to me, Misha, stop saying whatever. Whatever is a word that has no meaning. What are you using that word whatever for? To him, every word had to have meaning, it had to have definition, it had to have importance, because it was important. You can't be sloppy, you can't define things. Everything has to be clear, and everything has to be thought through. And when he gave shiurim, or when he gave uh, his maral shiur, or when he gave his pachiritzvot shiur, it took a very long time, because he had to find the perfect word to describe everything. And he was very makbid about Sneas. I remember when he, we went to his house on Shabbos, I was invited to his house many, many Shabbosas, and I'll talk about that soon if I have time. I know the hour is late. But he would never call his Rebetzin by her first name in front of Talmidim. So he would say, he would say, um, hello. Like he'd be sitting at, his, at, the, at the head of the table and, you know, and he, let's say he's finished saying his Dvaratayra, and now he wanted the soup to be served, or, hello, hello. You know, he didn't want to say his wife's name. He's calling her Baila. So I, his mother, Allah Shalom, Rav Aaron's mother was a very old lady at the time, but she was sitting at the table as well, of course. And she was very cute. She was an old American, I think she was also American, if I'm not mistaken. And... And he says, hello, hello, like he was looking for her. So she said, hello is in the kitchen. <laughs> and everybody was laughing. The Rebetzin also was very, very, he had a wonderful Rebetzin. And you have to understand, the Rebetzin was a very, she was an American girl. She came from a, from a wealthy home and she was very smart. She was the principal in a girl's school, an English principal for many, many years. And she literally gave up her life I'm catching myself because she, she dedicated her life to the Rosh Shiva. It's not easy every Shabbos and every Yantiv having seven to ten Bachrim, Talmidim, sit around your Shabbos table. She had to shop for all of them. She had to cook for all of them. She had to clean up for all of them. They forfeited their normal family Shabbos table. It's unbelievable. If you think about the Messiris Nefesh, and I remember that's why I'm catching myself because I just remembered that when... Rav Aaron was being was sitting shiva for his rebbitzin, so I came and I sat next to him and I, I, I said something to the effect that the rebbitzin was meiser nefesh for us for the talmidim for the yeshiva, and he got very upset at me. He says she wasn't meiser nefesh; she made a decision that this is what she wanted to do with her life, and she never questioned that decision. She wasn't, Maisi Nevesh means like she was sacrificing, she was surrendering her life, she was giving, she wasn't doing that. This is what she wanted to do, and this is what she did. She wasn't being forced, she wasn't coerced. This is a decision that she made, and she, if, if she would have not wanted to do it, the she wouldn't have made her do it.
But she was always so sweet and so fine herself. The Rashiva loved every type of Yid. Whether it was Russians, he gave so much to the Russian Jews. He, 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 in, there were many Russian Jews in Yeshiva, and he was involved in every organization that was involved in settling the Russian Jews in, in Brooklyn, in America, in, in Eretz Yisrael, wherever. He was always very, very concerned about the Russian Jews. Svardisha Jews he loved. His own son-in-law, Sir Shlema Haliwais, the new Rosh Hashiva of Chaim Berlin, Svardisha Tamar Chacham Movok. And I remember at the Shabbos table, there were very often Svardim. A lot of my friends came with me and we were, they were Svardim. And the Rashiva asked them to sing the special Svardisha Piyutim and the Zmiros. And they would sing and he would just, he would, he would have such hanah. He loved hearing other people's minhagim. I remember Amayeka, we're from Germany, my family. And when we made a bris and he came to it in Queens, and yekas have a very long harachamans. By the end of benching, it's like it takes 20 minutes. And most people are like, you know, I want to get to work. When's this thing going to be over? And Rav Aaron was just sitting and reading the beautiful words of these, of these pizmainim, of these uh, the special zmiris for, and all the beauty. And he just, he just loved it. He loved Yidin. For some reason, I don't even know why, but like I didn't like to daven in the base medrash in the main base medrash downstairs. I wanted to daven yeshiva, but it was too crowded. I was a little claustrophobic, maybe. I like like pacing around. I need like room, so I used to go upstairs to the Ezra Snushim, to the women's section. Chaim Berlin. It was empty. Obviously, there are no women there, and I was walking around. I was davening, uh, and I did this every day. I don't know why. That's what I did. And one day I was walking down the steps as Ravaren was walking up the steps after davening. And we were both wearing our talus and tefillin. And Ravaren said, I was looking for you by davening. I don't see you. Where are you? So I said, I like davening upstairs in the Ezra Snushim. So he says, why? I said, I don't, I said, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, you know, more freedom maybe. I don't know. I just, I don't want to daven with it. He says, Maisha, the difference between you and me is that I have a love for Jews. I love being around Jews. I love being surrounded and crowded by many Jews. That's for me, that's, that's Elam Abba. That's, you apparently don't. <laughs> but he really did. He loved Yidin. He loved every type of Yidin. Yid. He had concern, care. He, it kept him up at night. What's happening with this Jew? What's happening with that Jew? What's happening to this section of Klai Yisrael? To that, it bothered him. Balei Tshuva and people that weren't, for, that weren't from, people that, uh, everything bothered him. He felt a unity with every single Yid. And he spent time with Yid and he spoke to Yid of every stripe. He didn't care. He just wanted to try to be Mekadishim Shemayim and to bring everybody in. I once spoke to him in the car about technology. I'm a, you know, I'm a mashkiach in Lander College for Men, and, and like the rest of the world, you know, the, we have technology, and you know, not necessarily proud of it, but the boys need it for doing their college work and research, and it's very hard to say, you know, and we tried to filter, and, we, and anyway, I was asking the Rashiva, like, what to do, like, what's the... So he said at the time, this was before the internet, Asifa, 
you know, before COVID in, in, in City Field, if you remember, they had a big internet asifa, which was led by Matisseau Salman, but it was a secret. He told me, I think Matisseau was working on something, you know, their, their deal is, but he said that, I said, what should I tell the Bachram in terms of, like, what's the hashkafa of technology? So he said, he said, Adam is great. Man is great. And when you're too connected to technology, you run the risk of becoming dehumanized. You become robotic almost. If you think about it, that's what you're doing. When we're, when we're involved with technology, we're becoming robotic, we're becoming machines. And this was way before AI became even a concept. But you see how, like, you know, artificial intelligence and the, the line between being a, a human and being a, a robot is really blurring. And he was trying to convey that, you know, tell Talmidim that you have to be a human. It all starts from the Alta Vislabatka. If you understand Godless Adam, then you don't want to be anything but an Adam. You don't want to cross that line. I just want to end. I know it's very late. I don't want to take up any extra time with the Roshos of the Rav. Just one more thing. Um, the Shabbos by the Rashiva was something that is indescribable. And I wish that everyone could have been there with me to, to, to see it. Because you would never believe that in America, circa 1990s or 2000s, there could be such a, a person who was so full of Kedusha Shabbos. We came from Chaim Berlin, we walked, and I did this very, very often, many, many Shabbosas. We walked home together with his mishpacha, and one time we were passing, you know, across the street from Chaim Berlin's or David Kohn's shul, and there was a Hatzalah ambulance. I don't know if it's, I assume it's still parked out there. And in the middle, it was Shabbos, Shabbos about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and like a from guy goes and he jumps into the Hatzalah ambulance, and he's on a call. He parks his car, he takes the ambulance. And we're all looking at this scene. It's something, you know, it's like, and the little kids with Aaron's uh, children, grandchildren, they were all like looking and staring. And Rav Aaron, like after the, the ambulance pulls off, he gathers everybody together, everybody, like there was maybe an entourage of 20 of us. And especially the children, he was looking at them, he was saying, Shabbos Kodesh, Shabbos Kodesh. Not that there is chas v'shalom, anything wrong with Hatzalah guys going on calls, that's their mitzvah, but sometimes when people see that, you get desensitized about Kedusha Shabbos. If you see a Yid jumping into an ambulance on Shabbos and driving, it can't but stare a little bit of your Shabbos. It takes away a little bit of that, oh, you know, it's not, you know. So he wanted to, like, re-charge the, the, the neshama of, of everyone that was looking and say, this is Shabbos. And we have to remember that it's Shabbos. But by his table, there was no such thing as sicha betela, schmoozing. We weren't talking about politics. We weren't talking about the weather. We weren't. All we were doing was singing Zmiris, saying Devrei Taira. There were chumashim, ekreis kedailis. And between every course, they were handed out. And the Rashi would start saying a pasuk, whatever pasuk he was up to, and being Mavisedra, a Rashi, a Ramban, a Kliyakar, speak it out, say a Chiddush put it away, sings Miras, the next course, there was no schmoozing. If you can imagine, not a single word in any Shabbos, wherever he was, this is what his Shabbos was.
And he had such an extra aura of, of beauty to him on Shabbos and on Yantiv. Everything by the Rashiva was special. There was nothing that was trivial. Every word was important. Every mitzvah was chashav. Every yid was a world in and of itself. And he uplifted all of us. Anyone that was in his presence could not help but be changed and uplifted and inspired just by being nearby, near him. And it was a a tremendous chos that I had to have a relationship with him and to, I hope that these words conveyed a little bit of taste of what I experienced and the gadol that was lost to Klai Yisrael. And Yehei Zichrei Baruch, thank you very, very much for having me here.